0: you are listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Let's take a moment and go to the Lord in, in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, that you love us. We thank you, dear Lord, that you know our hearts, you know our needs. You know, dear Lord, everything there is to know about us. The one, as the song said, who knows us best, loves us most. Most people, the more they know about us, a lot of times the less they even like us. But the most intimate details of our lives, dear Lord, you seem to understand and know, and you love us anyway. And for that, we give you praise and glory and honor. We pray, dear Lord, that you might, dear Lord, use this message today for your honor, for your glory. We ask you, dear Lord, to speak to us. And we give you the glory for what you'll do. Lord, I ask you to cleanse me, to forgive me if there's anything in me in any way that would hinder your word, dear Lord, just remove it, blot it out. And I pray that not only for those that are, not only for those that may be leading worship or preaching your word, but I pray it for these that are listening. And we'll give you all of the glory and we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I invite you to take your Bibles. I want you to turn to Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. We've, we've been in a series called, called Worried. And, and I know for some of you in this room, that is not a problem that you have. And so you'll just bear with the rest of us that do. And notice I say us. Yes. Last week we talked about um, worry and this idea that much of what you and I worry about are things that we cannot control. People we cannot control, situations that are outside our control, and sometimes we worry about the future. How many of you in this room ever worry about the future? Well, you know that's most of us, and the rest of you lying. But uh, you know we we do, and and we said last week in the way of review, we just some things. I just kind of blo- I, I just kind of jotted them down real quickly, but. You know, first of all, worry comes from my, my attempt or our attempt to try to control people. A lot of times we worry about situations, again, about people, and, and principally people that we love. Sometimes we worry about people that we love, but we just simply can't control them. They're, they're living their own life. They're making their own decisions. They may be in total rebellion against the Word of God, and there's nothing that you and I can do about it. And in that situation, sometimes we just feel hopeless, Now I want you to know something, God is never hopeless nor is he helpless. And what you and I need to do is just simply give that person or give that situation over to the Lord. Number two, we said this, that sometimes our well-being may be contingent upon somebody or some situation being fixed. In other words, our thought is this, God, if you just fix this person, or God, if you just work out this situation, then everything would be all right between me and you. In other words, God, I could get excited about my faith. I could begin to serve you much more fervently, much more passionately. But God, if you just fix this situation, if you just fix this person. So sometimes our worry, our anxiety is, is literally, God, if you'll fix this, then I'm going to be all right. And hear me, when you and I say that, who's listening in? The enemy, our enemy, the devil. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I've, he said this, he said, the enemy comes to kill, steal, to destroy, but I've come to give you life and to give, to give it to you the full or give it to you abundantly. But your enemy listens in, listen to this, your enemy listens into your prayer life. Did you know that? Your enemy listens in to to some of those things that you're wording. When you word that kind of language, God, if you'll just fix this situation or fix this person, now listen to this, then I'll be all right. Wow. You put crosshairs on that situation. You put crosshairs on that person because now all the forces of hell will be unleashed because the enemy doesn't want you to be all right the enemy listen can't steal your the enemy cannot steal your salvation but the enemy can certainly steal the joy of your salvation if you allow him and if i allow him so we looked at that last week and so number 4 we also number 3 putting him in the crosshairs number 4 sometimes when you and i have that kind of life spiritually it's like this you ever see people that is just up and down roller coaster spiritually One situation gets worked out. One circumstance works out. One person they've been praying about, they get fixed and they're way up here. And then the next thing, they're way down here in a valley again. Why? Because the reality is if spiritually, that's the way we walk with Christ spiritually then we're just, going to ex- we're just going to exchange one situation, one person for another. This person gets fixed, we'll find somebody else to be fixed. Uh, this, per- this situation's worked out, now we find another situation. So we're always spiritually, we're always like this because we're saying, God, listen, listen to what Job said, though you slay me, yet will I praise you. Wow. So this idea, sometimes we just exchange. We're conditional followers. Listen, we're conditional followers. As long as the conditions are right, then I'm going to be spiritually passionate, on fire, serving the Lord, doing this, doing that. But when I get down spiritually, because situation and circumstances and people that I love are not working out the way I think they ought to work out, then all of a sudden I'm just dragging my lip and I'm down in the depths of despair. Anybody been there? You see, what happens then, we, we live in bondage and we give the enemy control over our lives. And that's a mistake. So number five, we live in bondage. Number six, we, get, we need to get out of the way. Sometimes you and I are worried about people that we love and they're living in rebellion against God. Listen, you have got to turn them over to the Lord and let go of it. Get out of the way. Quit trying to do God's work. Some of our worry, some of our anxiety is because we're trying to, listen, we're trying to play God in the lives of other people. Paul said in Galatians 6, 7, and 8, 6, 7, and 8, he said, listen, God has a principle. He has a spiritual principle. Whatever a man sows, that is what he reaps. If he sows to the flesh, he reaps corruption. So the Bible makes it real clear. So the idea here is is that sometimes what happens to you and I, we get in the way of that sowing and reaping. We get in the way. We love somebody so much that we begin to take the consequences of their sin, their rebellion on ourselves. And when we do that, that is a mistake. Do not play God in the lives of other people. I'm going to tell you this much, and I wrote it down. Quit playing God because playing God brings a lot of anxiety and worry into our lives. And isn't that true? Now, so kind of a review. So last week we basically looked at this thing of, you know, of, of what we worry about, worrying about the future, worrying about situations that are outside of our control. Now, I need everyone to put your spiritual antennas up real high because last week I ended with a principle that you need to hear. And the principle is this. Let me read it to you. His grace will be there at the moment you need his grace and not a moment before. He does not give grace for your worry or my worry. We walk by faith, not by fear. He will never, God will never affirm. He will never approve. He will never reward your fear, your worry, your anxiety. Listen. Worry is a what? Do you want to finish it? What is it? It is a sin. It's not a spiritual gift. Worry is a sin, and worry is something that God wants to set us free of. And all God's people said, Amen. Now, one of the things that we worry about is death. Right? Had a pain went across my chest. Honey, I may go anyway. You know, you remember Sanford? Red Fox? Elizabeth, this is the big one. Listen, that's the way the enemy works in your life and in my life. So death is outside of our control. Now, let me let me say real quickly uh, that's not completely true because there's suicide. There's poor health practices that can affect God's will for our lives and even our death. I want you to take a left from Philippians real quickly, and then we'll come back to Philippians. But I want you to, I want you to see this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, Matthew chapter 6, verse 27, because on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said something that I think is really interesting. And uh, it's something that I think you and I need to see. In, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 27, Jesus said this. Okay, verse 25. Let's pick up at verse 25. Jesus said, now this Sermon on the Mount, greatest sermon that was ever preached. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your Father, your heavenly Father, feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Now look at verse 27. Are you there? Say amen. Amen. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? You know, I I thought about that this week, and I thought to myself, in fact, I, I looked at that and I thought, he says we cannot, by worrying, by anxiety, add one hour to our life. But he doesn't say that we can't take an hour away. And I think that's important for you and I to understand. Suicide is never God's will. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. You see, that's something that you and I need to understand. It is never God's will for you or for I or for somebody who may be listening on the Internet. It is never God's will for you to take your life. That is the voice of the enemy. And you need to turn a deaf ear to that voice. That's the enemy. But I want to say something to all of you here today. Some of you are not pulling the trigger. You're not committing suicide, but you are living a reckless life. You are Your suicide is a slow suicide. It's not a gun. It may be your gut. Oh, here he goes again. I picture some of us sometimes at Wendy's holding a Baconator. Isn't that what they call it? It's, you know, we got triple, triple hamburger patties, bacon, cheese. I mean, this thing is, they ought to just call it what it is, a heart attack. I mean, I picture somebody standing over nearby going, get back or I'll eat it. You know, I'm getting ready to take my life. Get back, move back. You may say, well, that's silly, but your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I think that what Jesus was saying here is is that sometimes our enemy whispers into our ear lifestyle behaviors that in all honesty are shortening our life. You and I by worrying cannot add an hour, but my friend, I want to say something. When you live a reckless life, a slow suicide, you in essence are doing exactly what the enemy wants. Wow, it's quiet. Some people will say, you know, bread is my weakness. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus was being tempted, that the first thing the enemy did was tempt him with food, with bread? You know, I, I picture some of us, and we had that power when uh, Satan had said, you know, take that you know, take that stone and turn it into bread if you be the son of God. But I think if we had that power, man, immediately every, bre- every stone would have... We'd have had bread loaves everywhere. You see... So let's, let's settle something before we say death is outside our control. Let's settle this. That's true, but there's also, we need to identify that suicide is never God's will, and some of us in this room are living a life that is slow suicide. We need to stop that. We need to take care of these bodies in 2014, and all God's people said, amen, or oh no. So first, you've done, the, the, the point is here, you've done what you can to live healthy, to see your body as the temple of the Holy Spirit. But now let's go back to this again. The fear of death is a powerful tool in the arsenal of our enemy. The reality is, as much of the anxiety, much of the worry in our life comes from this fear that we might die. Let me get you to take a right from Matthew and go to Hebrews. Go back over there to go all the way back toward the end of your Bible, way back there toward the, toward the end there, right past Titus, right before James. And I want you to see this, Hebrews chapter 2. I love this verse, these two verses, 14 and 15. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. In fact, in one of our LTGs, Stan Lewis and Ledge, and some who meet in that LTG, they sent me this verse this week. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, it says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their, ho- in their humanity. Now, watch this. So that by his death, he might destroy him who has the power of death, that is the devil. Now, look at verse 15 and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of what? Of death. Isn't that a great verse? Jesus is simply, or the word of God is simply saying, the writer of Hebrews is saying, Jesus, one of the reasons Jesus came was to free us from the worry, the anxiety, the fear, the depression of always thinking about our death. Quit it. Stop it. In, in, again, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 27, Jesus said, Who of you, by worrying, can add one hour to your life? So let me ask you something. Why are you and I worrying about our death? Let me give you some things to think about. Number one, we have a poor view. As the child, as children of God, we have a poor view of death, heaven, and eternity. That's part of the problem as to why we fear our own death, why we're always worried about our health. Let me give you an example. I did a funeral yesterday. Use this passage. In John chapter 14, in John chapter 13, Jesus has been talking about his own death. Jesus is getting ready to die. And in chapter 14, as he's talking about his own death, he can see the disciples getting afraid, getting nervous, getting anxious. Listen, Mwadi, you remember that Zimbabwe terminology in Shona? Mwari akafeka munyama, God put on the flesh of man, stepped into his creation. Now you're telling me, listen, you're telling me that God is getting ready to die? His disciples were frightened. This is the one that interrupted every single funeral service by raising the dead. He said to Martha, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he that believeth in me shall never die. What do you mean you're going to die? Jesus smiled and said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, men, you know me well enough, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Wow. What did he say to the thief? When that thief repented and came in, in, in childlike, simple faith, looked at that other thief and began to you know, reprimand him, and then he turned to Jesus and he said, Lord, he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus looked at him and said, today you'll be with me where? In Sheol, in the place of the dead? He said, no, you'll be with me in paradise. I don't know about you, but I'd love to spend a few days in paradise. Your enemy is literally destroying your life. And if you're on the internet today, and we're getting all kinds of people that are coming to us now and thanking God for what God's doing, but the truth of the matter is, many of you in this room, you live your life in bondage to the enemy because you're afraid to die. You have a poor view of death, and you have a poor view of eternity in heaven. That's what the enemy wants. If you and I could see heaven... If we could take a glimpse, if he could just literally in a moment give this congregation a glimpse of heaven, we would never give death a... We wouldn't give it a second thought. We'd be going, oh, hey, I just had a chest pain. I'll be long now? Oh, my side's hurting. Maybe liver cancer just, man, I can't wait. You see, we live in fear and bondage is its tool of the enemy. Why? Because we have a poor view of death and of heaven and of eternity. In fact, let me let me do this. Take a left and go over to 1 Corinthians. Go over to 1 Corinthians because I want you to see this. 1 Corinthians, it's right before 2 Corinthians. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 55 and 56. And wake the kids up. Kids need to hear this. In 1 Corinthians 15 chapter 15, 55 and 56. Um this is a great verse. Listen to Paul what he said to the church at Corinth. In, in 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is what? Is your sting. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us, gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me, I want everybody to look this way. I'm going to help you. I want kids to stay with me. Paul uses a word there. Uh, for he talks about it's it could be I think the greek word there is is the word kintron uh, kintron it's 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 a picture of a bee or a scorpion or something that has a sting in it so i want you to think with me for a minute suppose you and your family or in a car, and you're just driving along, going on a vacation, when all of a sudden one of the kids holler in the back seat and say, Ah, it's a bee, it's a bee. And they, you know, one of them honeybees is flying around in the, in the car, and you're riding in there, and eventually, you know, it's getting kind of irritating. Your wife's swapping and, you know, about to wreck the car, and people hollering, ducking in the back seat. And man, this bee is just making the ride absolutely miserable. Finally, dad, as you're driving along, the bee eventually comes and he lands on you. And he stings you. You let him sting you. Now let me tell you about a worker bee. When they sting you, if you've got some tough old skin, they actually leave a, not only the stinger, but a little bit of their abdomen in, a, in you. In other words, they're getting ready to die. But the bee then lights on you, stings you, and then flies off. Now, the bee is still, you know, flying around in the car. Oh, it's a bee! It's a bee! And the kids are screaming, and wife's swatting and batting around there, and bees causing a lot of problems in the car. But you, Dad, you're saying, well, now, wait a minute. The stinger is in me. And the bee is going to die. The bee can't harm you anymore. Kids, calm down. The bee's not going to hurt you. Everything, honey, put the bee... Put the magazine down. Quit swatting at the bee. Everything's going to be all right. The bee no longer has any power to sting you. Does that make sense? The bee's no longer a threat. The bee's continuing to fly around, swooping into your faces, but you see, and threatening those people that you love, but the bee is now stingless because his stinger has already been placed in dead and you're trying to convince your family that the bee's no longer a threat, let me tell you what you'll eventually do. You'll finally smile and say to your kids, kids, in a few minutes I'm going to pull this car over and I'm going to kill that bee. You see, that's your enemy, the enemy, your enemy, the devil. In Genesis chapter 3 when he caused Adam and Eve and he tempted them and they sinned immediately. Do you remember what God said? God said that Adam and Eve, the day you sin, you shall die, die. He says in the Hebrew twice, which meant you'll die a physical death and you'll die a spiritual death. You see, death is the result of man's sin. When Christ went to Calvary and Christ died for our sin, he paid the penalty by dying a death for every single one of us. You see, the Bible says, Paul said, you and I are dead in what? You want to finish it? We are dead in Christ. You can't kill a dead man. If you and I are dead in Christ, we are dead once and for all. He's taken the penalty of our sins. It's no different than if you were at the funeral. Imagine you're in the, you're at the funeral home and you're in the parlor and all of a sudden you scream and go, Ah! There's a bee! And you swap one that's on a corpse. Now, does it, do you care if a bee is on a corpse? You see, the bee has no more power because the corpse is dead. One day God is going to pull over and he's going to kill the bee. He's going to take care of death once and for all. You don't believe me yet, do you? Turn, take a right from 1 Corinthians and go to Revelation chapter 30. This is Bible drillers. Lee and Ann, this is Bible drillers. But in Revelation chapter 20, look at this. Revelation chapter 20, beginning at verse 11, all the way, last book of the Bible. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence. There was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death, and this is the great white throne judgment. This is the judgment that you do not want to to be at. Then death and Hades were thrown into... Okay, now, okay, verse uh, verse 13. Where am I? The sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Each person was judged according to what he had done. Now look at verse 14. Then death and Hades were thrown into what? The lake of fire, the lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Listen, what God will one day do, he's going to pull creation over and he's going to take the bee, he's going to take death and he's going to throw it into the lake of fire and he's going to say, that's it, it's over no more. Quit worrying about your death. I had a man walk into cups last week, hadn't seen him in a while. He said, well, you probably didn't know what happened to me. did you?" I said, no. He opened up his, his shirt and he had a big old scar all the way down. He had had open heart surgery. He said, Jeff, let me tell you something. He said, I was, he said, you know, I, he, he said, I, I went into that situation. My wife called the ambulance. They rushed me to St. Dominic's. But he said, you know, in that moment, there was such a peace that came over me. He said, I literally felt as if I could feel the presence of the Lord. My friend Jesus said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the what? To the end. Death is something that you and I need to come to terms with and, and quit giving the enemy the ability to put us in worry and confusion and anxiety. And all God's people said what? Now let's go back to let's go back to Philippians. Because in Philippians, in what a great book. You know, I have fallen in love with this book all over again. But in Philippians chapter 4, because you've said, Brother Jeff, these are the things, these are the things that I don't have any control over. I can't control people, even people that I love. I can't control situations that I'm in. Sometimes I have absolutely no control. I, I don't have no control over the future. I, I don't have no control over my own death. I'm Listen, I'm doing the best I can to take care of the temple of the Holy Spirit. If I die now, hey, it's in God's hands, it's appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. So the enemy is not going to have a stronghold in my life constantly constantly keeping me in fear, worry, and anxiety over every little pain that I have. And all God's people said... Amen. But what do I do have control over? Look at what Paul said in Philippians chapter 4. Paul said, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about what? A few things. Anything. Anything. But in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, listen to that, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts, watch this, and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now everybody look this way. There are some things you and I can control that will help in worry. One of them is this, the power of humor in our life. Paul says it in verse 4. He says, listen, rejoice in the Lord. I think he's setting the stage for how to live an anxiety-free life. Paul is saying, listen, there are some things that you and I have control over. Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Rejoice. He's talking here about the power of humor, the power of praise, the power of a positive spirit in your life and in my life. Paul commands us. It's in the imperative. It's a divine order, direct order. You know, I can remember my dad was a disciplinarian. He listens every week, so he'll be listening to this. My dad was a disciplinarian. And these were the words, go to your room and wait on me. Well, I did. I put fourteen pairs of underwear on and waited on him. And and when my dad got through disciplining us—that's problem with the world today—we don't have that much anymore. But when my dad got through wearing my butt out, then he'd tell me, "When you when you get through crying, you can come in in the back into the living room." Well, eventually, I'd migrate in there to watch TV or whatever, and I'd I'd be doing this. You ever do? You know, kind of blow it... And, and, and my dad, look, dry it up. <gasps> I, I can't help it. My dad say, listen, dry it up. Cut out, the, cut, quit that crying and sniffling. Right now, dry it up, right now. You know, in some ways, this is kind of what God says to us sometimes. He says, listen, He says, rejoice. Cairo in the Greek. He said rejoice, to be rejoiceful, to be glad exceedingly, to be well, to thrive, no matter our circumstances. He says it twice. And I think in a lot of ways that he alludes here to a sense of humor, to the ability to rejoice, to be happy, a joy, a contentment, a sense of humor is conducive to anxiety-free living. Take out a half sheet of paper is what I'd love to tell you right now. If a college professor said that fear would go over you, you'd think, man, language class, you're in Hebrew right now, right now that thought would send send a fear through you. But if I could say to you, take out a half sheet of paper, I'd like to ask you some questions. Have you lost your sense of humor? Do you laugh anymore? When was the last time you had a good laugh? Do you any do you see fun in life anymore? You know Adrian Rogers said this. He said a dad, he said a dad ought to be a man of faith, but he made this statement. He said a dad ought to be fair, he ought to be firm, and he ought to be fun. Dad are you fun? Mom, are you fun anymore? When was the last time you made a face? You may think that's silly, but I, you know, I, I I, I deal with a health issue every single day of my life. I take medicine every day. Some nights I'm up all night, and I'll be honest with you, some nights I am sick as a dog, but no matter how sick I am, sometimes I'll walk in there as I'm washing my hands, looking at my face in the mirror, and I'll make a face, and I'll go, Walter... Now, for those that haven't watched Secondhand Lions, a movie, you don't have no idea what I'm talking about. But it's this funny woman in this movie that looks and goes, Walter? Or I think about Elf, Will Ferrell. Or I think about a movie with, uh, I'll never forget a movie, Bill Murray played in a movie called What About Bob. If you want to see a money a movie that 's clean and funny and will help you with your anxiety, you watch what about Bob Bill Murray is a man that is just literally crippled by anxiety and worry. He lives constantly in fear he examines every pain he thinks something's wrong with him, and he gets this he gets this psychiatrist by the name of uh, Leo Marvin, Doctor Leo Marvin, and he's played by Richard Dreyfuss. And before long, Bob is just dogging the trail of his psychiatrist, trying to get him to help him. And and ultimately, what happens? It's the story of Bob coming to terms with his fears and his anxiety and being set free of it. Do you realize the power of humor, of laughter, of a good spirit, good nature as a believer? It will make all the difference in your life and in the life of people around you if you begin to understand and grasp that. Do you know there, are, there is a documented case of cancer, terminal cancer being healed because a man sat, he, he literally surrounded himself with positive people. He began to look at good things. He began to focus on that and before long the immune system. Do you know that laughter stimulates your immune system? This man was cured of cancer. God has designed you and I to have joy and to have there, there's, there's, there can be happiness. When was the last time you had a good laugh? Listen to the word of God. Let me read something. Proverbs seventeen twenty two. I love this. Listen to this. It says, uh, Proverbs seventeen twenty two. It says, and you can, you can you can write these down. Go back to them later. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. You ever heard that? But listen to the message. I love the message by Eugene Peterson. He he says it this way. A cheerful disposition is good for your health. Gloom and doom leaves you bone tired. Isn't that good? A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. The message reads that. A cheerful disposition is good for your health. Gloom and doom leave you bone tired. Proverbs 15, 13. A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance but by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. Listen to the message on that one. A cheerful heart brings a smile to your face. A sad heart makes it difficult to get through a day. Proverbs fifteen fifteen. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. Listen to the message. A miserable heart means a miserable life. A cheerful heart will fill the day with song. Some of you in this room, the reality is, and some people on the internet, you have long, that are listening by way of the website, you have lost your sense of humor. You have forgotten how to laugh, and the reality is, you're drowning in gloom and doom and fear and anxiety, and you're depressed. Sometimes she'll get down, and and when she does. Now y'all don't think too bad of me, but I'll, I'll, I'll be in my boxers and I'll jack my boxers all the way up to my armpits and I'll put on black socks and pull them up and black shoes with my boxers and I'll walk by the bay window outside. One of the things that the Africans taught me in Zimbabwe was how to laugh. Though they had nothing, they laughed. You see, you laughed. I stimulated your immune system. You can pay me later. (laughs) You know, Jesus laughed a lot. The reality is Jesus could not have attracted the masses of people without smile, without laughter, without humor. When he talks about a camel going through the eye of a needle, I believe he said it with a smile on his face. I believe he laughed and said, you know, a rich man trying to get into heaven with all of his possessions is about like trying to get a camel through the eye of a needle. He uses the word in the Greek there, a sewing needle. not talking about a gate and a wall. In Nicodemus chapter 3, I believe he laughed at Nicodemus when Nicodemus said, can a man enter into his mother's womb a second time? I believe Jesus laughed. He said, you're a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things. Nicodemus, you must be born again. Moms and children, listen, they would would run to have Jesus bless their children. They would crowd around him, masses crowding around him. I can tell you one thing about a mama if there's some, some adult, somebody that doesn't like children doesn't want children around, she'll do everything she can to keep them as far away from that person as ever. I believe when Peter was sinking and falling and plunging underneath the water, I believe when Jesus reached down and pulled him up, I believe that Peter saw a smiling face and Jesus laughing hysterically and saying, Peter, why did you doubt? And setting him on top of the water. Jesus was a man who understood a good laugh. Mark Driscoll said this. He said, we tend to attack the masculinity of Christ. He said, but Jesus was a man. He was the God man. He said, I have no problem with Jesus sitting around with the disciples around the fire when all of a sudden Jesus lets out a long, he says, hey guys, listen to this. And burps a long one. And you may say, well, that, that, that's kind of silly. That, that seems unholy. No, Jesus was a man. I believe that he loved people and he laughed and he was just like any other man. But he was a God man. He attracted crowds and people came to him and ran to him. I know I need to close, but Bob Smith, Bob, Bob will ask me something, talking about boxers. Bob will ask me uh, something on occasions. And it's this. One time, Ledge and Jeffrey were acting up, and they just kept on. And it was a bitter cold night. So I kind of tricked them and got them outside. And they were in their boxers. I had me a big old house coat on. I mean, I was wrapped tight. But they were in their boxers, and they'd been clowning around, cutting up. and So I got outside the kitchen door, out into the garage, which the door was open. and wouldn't close. We didn't have a door back then. Uh, but anyway, I got them outside, and then the door locked. And I said, come on, guys, we're going to go for a walk. And, and here it was, I mean, it was like 15, 20, I mean, it was bitter cold. And I'm walking down the, back then, there was no traffic on the road. I'm walking down the road all bundled up, and the boys, are, they're, they're in their boxers jumping beside me. Trying to stay warm, you know, and, and 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 I was talking to them about you know acting right and behaving and not giving their mom a hard time, and they were jumping just like guards along there. And when we came back down the driveway and we got back down to the house, Sheila had the dryer on, and so I'm standing out there and I'm still talking to them, and they're down there by the vent that comes outside of the, and they're down there like this, and this 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 smoke is bellowing out, and they're just down there just huddled up around the dryer vent. When all of a sudden, the dry, Sheila cut the dryer. Off. They said, Oh! <laughs> Bob Smith will ask me sometime. He'll say, you took, in a, you took them boys on a walk lately in the cold in boxers. Why? Because he had one of those days with his boys, and a few hours later, his oldest son went to be with the Lord. Your sense of humor, your laughter is part of your testimony. When you lose your joy, when you lose your laughter, when you lose your good nature, when you lose the ability to enjoy life, my friend, you become a liability to the kingdom of God. And your enemy fills you with worry and fretting and over things that are outside your control, over your death when you have no control over that, and you live your life in bondage, you've lost your sense of humor. I know I need to close, but some of you need to learn to laugh again. Jesus laughed. Jesus laughed. You may be here today, and you think, "Well, you know," and just you don't know my life. You don't know what I'm going through right now. I don't. I, I agree with you. I don't laugh much, but I don't have much to laugh about. Shame on you. Shame on you. You breathing? Did you get up this morning? Did you make it here? You're on the internet right now on the website? You're driving? You up? You at your job? You're going to drop the kids off tomorrow school? they all healthy? You got a roof over your head? You're going to go home and eat lunch? You don't know my life. I'm going through a painful divorce right now. I'm in a financial mess right now. My health is not good right now. I just lost my job. My family's in a mess. My kids are living in rebellion. I've lost a loved one. Are you a Christian? I don't have anything to laugh about because there's so much going wrong in my life. Are you a Christian? So you're a child of the king son and daughter of God. So you have an eternal home being prepared for you. So heaven is in your future. So your loved ones are there waiting on you at the gate even now. So you have the power of God's Holy Spirit living in you. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. So Jesus is sitting there by your side right now or wherever you are in this moment because he told you, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Lo, I'm with you always to the end. That's why Paul said, rejoice always. And I'll say it again, rejoice. My friend, have you lost your sense of humor? Have you lost the ability to laugh? Has the enemy stolen joy out of your heart and out of your life? My friend, get it back and get it back right now. If you're a child of the king, you have everything to rejoice about. And you may say, well, I'm, I don't know that I am. And settle that right now. Romans 3.10 says, there's none righteous, no, not one. 3.23 says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You're never going to be good enough for God, so quit trying. You'll never earn your salvation. It is grace. It is unmerited, unsolicited, nothing but free love, agape love that God gives to the entire... Jesus said it for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He loves you. He loves you. And right now, if you're convicted of your sin, he'll come into your heart. The Bible says for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5, 8 said God demonstrated his love toward us even that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says that if you and I will confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Romans ten thirteen said, "For whosoever, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved." In that moment, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life by His precious blood, and you have been set free from death. You've got a bee that's flying around you. That the I promise you, one day the Creator is going to go, and that's it, and it's over. You don't have to worry. You just have to believe. I want you to stand. And it's interesting that Jeffrey and the praise team, the direction they take sometimes, because I wrote this down while I was sitting in there waiting. In Jeremiah 29, verse 11 through 14, and I wrote this down. God has a plan. Listen to this. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Would you turn to somebody right now and say that? God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And while you're there, you can make a face. <laughs> listen, to, listen to the message here as, as, as Eugene Peterson translated this passage, paraphrased it, Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14. Listen to this. Boy, listen to the first thing. Because some of you are worried about situations, people, health, circumstances that you have no control over. Listen to the first thing it says. This is God speaking to the nation of Israel. I know what I am doing. I know what I am doing. I have it all, listen, I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not abandon you. Plans to give you the future you hope for. When you call on me, when you come and pray to me, I'll listen. When you come looking for me, you'll find me. Yes, when you you are serious about finding me and want it more than anything else, I'll make sure you will not be disappointed. And he said, God's decree. Now listen to the last part. I'll turn things around for you. Wow. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And I want you to listen to one more thing Adrian Rogers said. I think it's so powerful because it set me free of fear and worry, especially when I'm traveling and I'm hanging 35,000 feet up in the air going to the other side of the world. Adrian Rogers said, you know where the safest place to be? in the perfect will of God. When you you and I are in God's will, that's a safe place to be. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you, and in the name of Jesus, we just love you, Lord. Lord, we don't, uh, as Jeffrey said, even at the prayer at the end of our praise and worship, we don't deserve that love. We never will deserve it. But we thank you, dear Lord, and we give you the glory that you want to not only come into our hearts to take up residence, to live there. You want to set us free. You want to set us free, dear Lord, of the worry and the anxiety and the fears that keep us so captivated and consumed that we live in bondage. You want us to walk by faith and not by fear. And you want us to trust you. You want us to realize that we're a child of the King. That we are joint heirs with Jesus. That you have gone already. That you're preparing a place for us. And when death comes in that moment, there will be such a sweet presence of you there. That you will walk us into the gates of glory. And you'll wrap your arms around us and you'll smile and you'll say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Lord, may you take the fear of death. May you take away the anxiety that comes when we worry too much about these bodies and about our health. Would you help us to see death as a door? Would you help us to see death as Paul saw it? as a ship leaving harbor, harbor and going out to sea? Would you let us see what the Bible says, absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord? Would you let us see that when it comes to that moment, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Would you let us see that the sting of death has been taken away? Would you set us free, dear Lord, today from the fear of the glorious moment when we will see you face to face. But Lord, would you also remind us that you have a plan and a purpose for our life, that you don't want us to live in fear, constantly worrying and fretting and anxious about every pain, every ailment. That God, you, you have so much that we need to be busy about. But sometimes our enemy distracts us and pulls our attention away from those people and those relationships around us. People who are hurting and suffering and need an encouraging word. We forget the loss because we're so consumed with ourselves. May you set us free today. May you do something that only you can do. And Lord, if there's one here that does not know you, May they give their heart and life to you today and be this moment recorded, names recorded in the Lamb's book of life for eternity. God, do what only you can do. Speak to our hearts. Draw people to this altar. And we'll praise you and give you the glory. In the name of Jesus, amen.